Hey, everybody. Welcome back to episode 14 of Sword and Spirit, a podcast by First Baptist Church of Bay St. Louis, Mississippi. Today, we're going to be covering the topic of biblical manhood. So I'll turn it over to our host, Pastor Brett. Welcome to another episode of Sword and Spirit. We're glad that you have joined us today. I'm here with Dustin Pierce, our discipleship student pastor. Hey, hey. And RJ Osborne producing our podcast. What up, RJ? RJ graduated from Texas Tech University. Did you know that, Dustin? No. I mean, I, I knew he graduated from Texas. Do you know what their Texas? mascot is? What is their mascot? It's a Raider? Is that the one? Look at you. Yeah. Red Raiders. Did you know they won the national championship in basketball? Really? What was that, two years ago? Who cares? Uh, who cares? We we like basketball, though, but best thing came out of Texas Tech's RJ. So there you go. Well, we're so glad that you have taken the time to listen to this episode. Today, we are talking about biblical manhood, a very divisive subject sometimes. Absolutely. In our nation, and a very important subject. Most of the chaos that we find in our culture, I would say, comes from our lack of understanding the role of what men, uh, God has called men to be on the earth. So first up, we uh, Dustin's going to help us understand a little bit about the doctrine of humanity and where it all began. So yeah, the doctrine of humanity just refers to who are all of us just from the beginning of creation until now. And I think, you know, you have to begin with creation to understand what is God's design for mankind. And so at the beginning of creation, here's some things that we begin to notice. Creation is not very good until mankind is made. Every other day of creation, God says it's good, it's good, it's good. But on the day that he made mankind, on the okay, sixth wait. day, it so that day, very good. When was that? Was that like 4,000 years ago, 8,000 years ago, 20 million? I mean, do you know when that was? Well, uh, that's a... That's a different episode. That's a whole different episode. Okay, all right. So I'm just curious, <laughs> I mean, you're talking about that day, we'll just have to say in the beginning, right? Yes, the earth. in okay. the beginning, right, 6,000 something years ago. I definitely you distracted know, you. Or, you know, 10,000 years ago or... And you were saying... <laughs> whatever. So creation is very good after mankind is created. So mankind is blessed by God. It's unlike any other of God's creation because man is made in the image of God. It is given a a blessing by God. So mankind different from every other creature in existence. Uh, The first picture of marriage is given then. Uh, It's a physical and a spiritual union of man and woman. And mankind is given some responsibilities right there in the beginning uh, to be fruitful and multiply to have dominion over creation, and then one very specific rule, not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So man has these responsibilities. They're made in the image of God, and we don't know if that image includes uh, their leadership and dominion, whether that includes their creativity or that they actually look like God. I don't think anything is specifically told to us because it's almost like God wants us to imagine what are the ways that we are so different from animals that we are in the image of God. Mm. And I think we can see a lot of different ways in creation that we are just set apart like that. Uh, but we see that male and female, they're both created in the image of God. They both have equal standing before God. Right. And that image of God, while it's beautiful and inerrant in all of us, it's it's fallen in some way and distorted 
when sin enters the world. And so that's why you can see people and say, really? They're made in the image of God? I I can hardly believe that. Look Mm -hmm. at all the things that they do or the way that they act. Well, the image is still there. It's just distorted by sin. But also we know from creation that male and female are differentiated, but they're also complementary. For example, man is made in a very humble way. He's made from the earth and God breathes life into him. Meanwhile, uh, the female is made from the rib of man. You see that man is given a responsibility to work and keep the garden. But we see along with that, man has given a woman as a helper because God saw that it was not fit for man to be alone. So you see there there's like a differentiation, and yet they're complementary. They need one another. And what's really unique about the Genesis account of creation is that there are some things that are very different from every other culture in the Near East of that time. For example, it's the only one that says that man was made in the image of God. All others say that man was made subservient to God, not to have a relationship with him, but simply to do as they're told. Genesis also spends a great deal of time detailing the creation of women, which is not done in any other account. They're just simply lumped in with everyone else as if they're not special. But Genesis spends special time detailing how women were made. It's unlike any other creation account in the ancient Near East. So this is the view of biblical complementarianism, which is what we we would adhere to. Yes. It may, basically saying that man and woman are created identical in nature and in yes. the image of God, both being created, special, unique, but different in function and role. Yep, exactly. And when people first hear that, they think, oh my gracious, they're anti-women or, or they're, they're homophobic if you hold that view. That's not true. That's, this is the distortion that the enemy is trying to, to do. So we want the women of our church, women of our culture, any ladies hearing this, we love women. In fact, we say that you are just as valuable. Uh, men and women are the same value in, a, in belonging to a local church family, in the family, across the board. Uh, especially the New Testament reaffirms that belief. So if you're a female listening to this and it has not been your experience to where you have been respected and you have been treated in the right way, we just want to say we apologize. We just want you to know that it's not okay for a guy to treat you with disrespect, for a man to treat you as if you are not as important as him. And God's not okay with degrading of women anytime or anywhere in our culture in this world. And he's not okay with the degrading of men anytime or anywhere. So, you know, this is really wasn't, you weren't focused on going to talk about headship, although you did allude to it. It's a responsibility for service, not a tool for self interest. And when people get that out of whack, it definitely distorts. Uh, the view of biblical manhood. Yeah, which brings us to uh, manhood throughout the Bible. Uh, So something I found was very interesting is that there are certain words used throughout the Bible. In Greek and Hebrew, there is a word for man, mankind in general, but there's also words that differentiate men from women. Because men and women, while, again, we mentioning this, they are equal in the eyes of God. They are both made in the image of God, but they're different. And there's nothing wrong with being different from one another. 
Uh, also, there's words for men, such as the word for husband, the word for father. And what I found was very interesting is that in the Old Testament, there's this word for men uh, that means valor, virility, uh, basically means a man who stands above all the rest. And so, Brett, I know you've done some study into First Samuel and Second Samuel where this word is used a lot. you have anything you can add about men who are just strong and stand above all the rest? Any examples? Well, when, when I think about, you know, I've preached the sermon, If Men Were Men, on, on First Samuel, and it's really towards the beginning of, of the book. Obviously, you know, you pull some stuff from the life of David, but when you, and Samuel, obviously, maybe one of the manliest men in all the Bible. We love Samuel, right? Hero of the faith. But if you go to First Samuel chapter 2, the very beginning, uh, you see some examples of what a man is not supposed to be. And you see Eli... And it was in 1 Samuel 2, 29. God told Eli, he says, Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? And so Eli loved his sons. And he got wrapped up in wanting to honor his own children over the Lord. And that can happen. So the principle is if men were men, they would lead their families well. And how many times do we, uh, as men, were distracted by maybe just a career or job or trying to attain success or, you know, earn some bread and milk for your family that the the duties of a dad are, are neglected? And when that happens, children suffer. So why do we have uh, places of our society totally crumbling? Well, most of those people didn't grow up with a solid mom or dad or any kind of father figure in their life. Yeah, it's true. So if men were men, we wouldn't let sports dominate the lives of our families or wouldn't let our lives evolve around things uh, besides Jesus. By the way, that's called idolatry. And, you know, when the things of this world uh, began to take precedent over our walk with the Lord— and the things of the local church, then there's going to be an imbalance that happens in the family. So, I love First Samuel. Oh yeah, lots of good stuff there. In fact, you mentioned Samuel earlier. Uh, there's this pattern throughout the Old Testament, and it even carries on into the New Testament that maturity is a big deal. Uh, in First Samuel chapter two, verse twenty-six, we see that Samuel grew in stature, in favor with the Lord, and favor with man. In fact, this is the same principle that's repeated in Jesus' life later on in the book of Luke, except for it adds that he also grew in wisdom. So when a man grows into maturity, he doesn't just grow in stature, but he grows in favor with the Lord. He grows in favor with man. He begins to love his fellow man, and he grows in wisdom. And we see in the book of Proverbs, there's so much wisdom given for mankind. In fact, the entire book is Solomon passing on wisdom to his son. And so in a way, you could say the entire book is about wise living, especially for men. But I think of, you hear all the time about a Proverbs 31 woman. Well, no one ever talks about a Proverbs 31 man. Mm. At the very beginning of that passage, we have Solomon's mother who passes on some wise advice to him and tells him just some great just wisdom, just just dimes for being a man of noble worth. And that includes not wasting your strength on women, 
to not let wine and strong drink drive your life. In fact, it even hints to the idea that alcohol is intended more for medicinal purposes than it is for recreational purposes in your life. Uh, It talks about defending the poor and needy, using your words for righteous justice. These are the kind of traits that a biblical man should have. They don't just waste away their time with women and strong drink, but instead they defend the poor and the needy. They use their words for righteousness and justice. And throughout the book, you see lots of things that pertain specifically to men. Uh, Stay away from the forbidden woman. Provide for yourself. In other words, don't be a mooch. Provide for you and your family. Mm. Love your own wife, not any other woman out there, and rejoice in her always. Then there's some other just common teachings that really anyone could adhere to the importance of steadfast love and faithfulness, submitting to the Lord's understanding with humility, honoring the Lord with your wealth and your first fruits, not despising discipline, but loving the discipline of the Lord, uh, keeping peace with your neighbor and acting swiftly, uh, not trying to be devious or plan your ways violently and with contention, putting away crooked speech and devious talk, walking carefully to avoid evil, avoiding anger and wrath because they cause transgressions, following through with your words, not being a sluggard, but being a hard worker. Being a wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son is sorrow to his mother. So we want to be the kind of men who have that kind of wisdom. And I mean, it just carries out all through the Old Testament. What does it mean to be a man? Micah outlines what it means to be a man by saying, a man does justice, he loves mercy, and he walks humbly with his God. And the New Testament even goes deeper and even into a more personal level. In 1 Corinthians, we find out that a single man has a lot of opportunity in his life to serve the Lord, but if he burns with passion, he should be married. Likewise, a married man may have some distractions with the world, having to care for his wife and his family, but he doesn't have that same struggle with burning with passion. And so we see all these teachings about being single and being married. Brett, would you add anything to the roles of a single man versus a married man? Um, I I would just say, uh, not so much on the roles, but you mentioned the Proverbs... uh, Proverbs 30, 31, 31, man, and I think what what keeps all these men in the church from being that, and I think the enemy has demasculated us, oh, right? Yeah. And he, he has used pornography and sexual sin and pride and, you know, misguided, um, as David Platt would say, men fighting artificial war. Yeah, and uh, you know, just distractions, and you know, men should speak out against evil, godly men. And in America, if you speak out, you know, you're flagged on Twitter. Uh, this may be a fact that is disputed. And now, because you touched on alcohol, our this podcast is going to be flagged. Thanks, Dustin. <laughs> uh, so, um. You know, in First Samuel, I know a reference back to that, but if men were men, they would speak out against evil. And it was, uh, you know, Micah chapter 6 says that he has told you, a man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. That's right. And so my question is, in 1973, when they approved abortion, where were the godly men? Hmm. Who allowed that to happen? 
Why were they not lining up, beating down doors, saying, we're not going to stand up for the slaughter of the most innocent among us? Where were the churches? Where were God's people today? You know, where are the men who are allowing their children to fill their minds and hearts with the filth that we see uh, on social media, television, movies? You know, why is the mom the only one trying to convince their teenager that this certain thing is unhealthy for their life? Where are the godly men? And the truth is, many of them are, I don't know, they're, I think they're demasculated and they're, yeah. they're defeated. And that's exactly what the enemy wants. Yeah. It's a spiritual battle. Exactly, and I think you see that pattern in Proverbs 31 where it talks about don't give your strength to women or uh, don't chase after strong drink. There's so many things in our lives that distract us and, like you're saying, demasculate men and prevent them from doing the things that they should do, like defend the born needy and use their words for righteous justice. Uh, it's just it's the things of the world that bog up our lives and prevent us from being the men that we're taught to be in the Bible. And so just some things that... We're taught about husbands and fathers in the Bible. Just 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3 says that the man is the head of the wife. He is the head of his family. He's supposed to lead. He's supposed to take charge and be the example in his family. Ephesians chapter 5 tells us that a man is supposed to love his wife sacrificially. He's supposed to love his wife as his own self. All this with Christ being the example in the way that he loves the church. A man is supposed to nourish and cherish his wife, taking care of her. A man in Colossians three, eighteen through 25, he's not supposed to be harsh towards his wife, but he's supposed to do everything heartily as unto the Lord and not for men. In First Peter, in chapter 3, another passage about husbands and wives, men are supposed to be understanding with their wives. They're supposed to honor their wives as the weaker vessel. And this idea of weaker vessel doesn't mean they're less than men because the same passage says that wives are heirs with men, which means they're equal in the eyes of God. But the idea is a cast iron skillet versus fine china. You know, you may be able to find a really nice cast iron skillet for the same price of, you know, maybe some cheaper mm-hmm. fine china. And it doesn't mean that one is of less value than the other if you bought them for the same price. But if you drop one on the ground, one is going to be weaker and one will be stronger, but the other may be more precious because of what it is. And so that this idea of weaker vessel doesn't mean that wives are any less. In fact, they're fellow heirs with their husbands, but they should be treated with honor as the weaker vessel, almost like fine china. He also says men should do this so that way their prayers will not be hindered. In other words, a man who mistreats his wife, God almost says, dude, why should I listen to you? Why should I be gracious and merciful towards you when you treat your wife in such a diabolical way? So fathers, I mean, so husbands should take care of their wives. Fathers, there's teachings about them as well. They are not supposed to provoke their children, but instead they're supposed to bring them up. Interestingly enough, that's the same word used for a man nourishing his wife is to bring up his children. That's the same verb in the Greek language there. So he's supposed to bring up his children in the discipline of the Lord and the instruction of the Lord. And we see this same concept even in the Old Testament in what a very famous Hebrew passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, the Shema, that a man is supposed to teach these things everywhere he goes as they walk, as mm-hmm. they sit down, is supposed to have it on their doorpost, and everything they're supposed to do, they're supposed to teach their children the things of the Lord, discipline them in the Lord, show them a correct pattern of living, 
instruct them about the things of the Lord. The Lord is the most important thing that a man can teach his child about. Not math, not English, right. not history, but the things of the Lord. I remember as when I was growing up, my father would come home sometimes and it didn't happen all the time, but sometimes he would just sit there and he would open up his Bible and he would begin his own quiet time. And my brother and I would be in the room and he would see something interesting and he would say, hey, 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 y'all cut off the TV. Stop whatever you're doing. Listen to this. This uh, is good wow. stuff. That's powerful. Yeah, it made a huge impact on my life that he found the things of God interesting enough to share it with us, that he shared the instruction and the discipline of the Lord with us to bring us up in the right way. And it was just a small thing, and I can only imagine how much more impact in my life would be if he had done that every single day or in so many other ways throughout my life. But those moments uh, stand out in my life. Also, we see that a man is supposed to be a provider. In 1 Timothy 5.8, we see that if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. In fact, Jesus himself taught that the Pharisees, one of the reasons they were such hypocrites is because they had this teaching that if you gave your money to the Lord, you didn't have to use that money to take care of your parents, that you they weren't your responsibility anymore in their old age. But we know that men are supposed to be providers for their relatives, members of their household, even their parents in their old age. In fact, in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, we're told that if a man doesn't work, neither shall he eat. Men are supposed to work. Men are supposed to provide. They're supposed to take care of people. Did you add anything to that? Yeah, I would say that Israel in, in the Old Testament suffered a lot of consequences because men were not men. And one example would be uh, when Israel was asking for an earthly king. Mm. Hey, we want to be like everybody else. Mm. My question is, where were the old dudes in the crowd with the gray hairs that should have said, hey, this may not be the best idea? Samuel, he spoke up. He warned them. He says, guys, this is a really bad idea. Where were the other guys that said, hey, Samuel's right. They weren't any. And then that's when you see Saul came into the picture. And uh, it's just, there's so many examples in the Bible that, uh, man, if men do not speak up, step up, rise to the occasion, and, and a lot of times it's not even hard stuff. You know, it's just pretty simple stuff that if we'll just simply uh, do what God's called us to do, it will help us avoid all kinds of heartache in the future. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think, you know, we have uh, three, obviously we know the three institutions that God created, mandated. He gave us the family, gave us the church, and gave us the government. And uh, I think it's so important for us to teach our children. You're talking about raising up kiddos to teach them authority, to yeah. submit to authority, Absolutely. even when the teacher's wrong, right? The teacher's not going to be perfect every time. Yeah. Uh, just like you're not going to have a – every doctor's not going to be perfect. Every police officer's not going to be perfect. Yeah. Uh, no one's perfect except for the Lord. Yeah. And so we've got to teach our children to submit to the authority that God has put over them. That's what First Peter chapter 2, 13 says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And we're all accountable. And we've got to teach our children to never undermine authority at school, or they're going to have a long road ahead for their life. Yeah. They're going to struggle. They're going to go to college. The teacher's going to give them a, a, a grade they deserve. The kid's going to look around the show, you know, where's mom and dad to bail me out? And right. that, that can't happen. 
Exactly. And so we have to teach our children to honor authority, even if that authority is wrong, uh, yeah. up to a certain extent. So you have to honor them. Right. You don't have to, to obey them when right. they're You don't have to wrong, agree with them. But you them. have to honor them. For sure. And I, I think if, if we can teach our children uh, how to do that as children, then it's going to be a lot easier for them, middle school, high school. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but if we're raising up, you know, I think what's the one funny thing, funny or not funny, right? With Corona this year, you saw the things online, all the parents are saying, hey, I realized it wasn't my uh, child's teacher that was the problem, right? <laughs> all the homeschool yeah. is, it's my kid. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, it's like, hopefully some teachers will get some gifts out of the deal, <laughs> uh, realizing, you know, parents realizing how hard it is to teach their child all yeah. day. And if not gifts, at least a little more respect, you know. <laughs> For real, right. <laughs> As the teacher's like, don't bring me an Apple trinket that I'll never use. Just <laughs> teach your child to have some decency and res- That's right. halfway That's respect right. me. Yeah, and speaking of raising up children, you know, we're going to be starting a new family ministry in January. And so that's that'll be a great opportunity Very to cool. learn how do we raise up children in this new generation? How do we use every moment to disciple our kids to be more and more like the Lord? And so speaking of that, we see... Uh, There's some concepts throughout the Bible that really all of us should follow, but especially men. If we're going to be the leaders and we're going to set the example, there are some things that the Bible teaches that we should really set the standard high. And you talked earlier about honoring authorities. Not only should we teach our children, hey, honor your authorities and respect your authorities, but also we ourselves have to submit to authorities. We have to set that example. And speaking of being more like the Lord, uh, Throughout the Bible, we're told, especially in Hebrews four fifteen, Romans eight twenty nine, Second uh, Peter, First Peter two twenty one, that we're supposed to imitate Christ. And so, what are some things that Christ did? Well, he fulfilled all righteousness. In fact, he even got down into the nitty gritty and said, "If you have lust in your heart, you've already committed sexual immorality in your heart. If you have anger in your heart towards someone, you've already committed murder in your heart." See, the Bible teaches us: be angry and do not sin. And also, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Resolve your anger. Uh, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. This is an issue that we hear a lot about men in our society is they get angry, and they do things that they regret. But biblical manhood says, hey, listen to people. Don't be angry. Don't sin in your anger. And if you have anger towards someone, you need to work that out while the day is still young. And so we see... We want to be the kind of people who are righteous. We want to be the kind of people who, like Jesus, took time uh, to get alone, to have a quiet time. And he clearly knew Scripture well. We see that in his temptation. He ministered to people. He was humble. He was a servant, even washing his disciples' feet. He proclaimed the message of of the kingdom. He made disciples. So we would need men who go out there and share the gospel and make disciples. Uh, He taught people to take care of their families. He responded to controversies with wisdom. He taught about stewardship. He even taught about how we should tithe and how we should even pay taxes to those whom taxes are owed. So Jesus has teachings about all kinds of things in life. And we, if we're going to imitate Christ, need to pay attention to those things and try to emulate those things in our life. There are some other key teachings in the New Testament about maturity. Uh, in 1 Corinthians thirteen eleven, Paul says that when he became a man, he left behind childish things. We know maturity is a big deal. We got to leave behind childish things at some point. We got to take a stand and and really be men. And there are just some basics that Hebrews lays out to what does a Christian man need to know? What does he need to believe 
about, and that's repentance, faith, baptism. He needs to learn about the resurrection. He needs to learn about eternal judgment, laying on of hands. All these things the author of Hebrews says are just the simplest stuff in Christianity. And so if you look at your life and you think, well, I don't really know a whole lot about that. Well, the author of Hebrews thought that was the basics. And so Paul, on the other hand, said we need to be growing towards unity of faith, knowledge of the Son of God, stature of the fullness of Christ, in other words, being more like Christ, not being tossed by waves in every wind of doctrine or human cunning. In other words, just because your friend says, hey, this is what you should do, or you're hanging out with this one crowd and they say, oh, this is what we think or this is what we believe. No, dig into the Word of God. And make sure, be grounded in that, and don't just be tossed around by anything that anybody could tell you at any given time. Get serious about the doctrine of the Word of God. Also, Paul says, speaking the truth in love to grow. All these things are signs of a mature man. This unity of faith, knowledge of God, stature in the fullness of Christ, not being tossed by every wind of doctrine, and speaking the truth in love. He also goes on and tells Timothy, his uh, child prodigy, uh, that he should flee youthful passions and lusts, and in contrast to that, he should pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace. All these things are things that a mature man pursues after. And there are some other things that we as biblical men should do, and one is that as leaders and as those who set the example— We need to understand that the strong bear with the weak. We see teachings about this in Galatians 6, in Romans 14, that the strong help the weak bear their burdens. They don't cause them to stumble, that they are there for those who are weaker than them. And they also fight and stand for unity. They're peacemakers. They don't just go around fighting for no reason, but they fight for peace in this world. Uh, Are there there any other biblical teachings that you would say really should stand out for men? Yeah, I think that the misconception that we have in our culture is obviously, okay, to be a man here in the South, uh, don't show weakness, don't cry, uh, suck it up, be tough, work hard, you know, all these things which are... Some of them are true, work hard, you know? I mean, masculinity can be a great thing, right? I always think we need... Uh, I'm glad you guys have beards because I think those are biblical <laughs> and we know the Lord Jesus had a beard. That's right. So, uh, you know, godly manhood, masculinity can be really healthy for our culture. And it's a good thing when women are women, right? Yeah. But if you, at the end of the day, uh, think about all of your accomplishments in your life. And maybe you have a lot of those or, or maybe, you know, you don't. Just let's just be real. Think about your life right now. If you take that away, take away your apartment or your house where you live, take away your car, take away your boat, take away all the hobbies you're good at, take away the hobbies that you're bad at, take away um, your job, your identity that's wrapped up in that job, take away your marriage if you're married. If you're single, take away your singleness. And what you do in your single time. If you strip everything in your life away and somebody, all they can do when they look at you is your heart, what are they going to see? And when you looked at David in the Old Testament when he was a scrawny teenager, if they would look at that dude, he didn't even get invited to the party. 
Right? He didn't even get invited to the draft. He was not even invited because he was so scrawny, he was so young, and he didn't know anything. He was uh, he didn't have enough knowledge. He didn't have enough wisdom. He hadn't been to seminary. He didn't even have a beard. That's right. <laughs> this guy, and yet he lived in a day of great warriors. David lived in a day, man, we're soft today. Let's just be real. Yep. They lived in a day where, man, seeing somebody get their head cut off, that was a pretty normal thing for them. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, so, and even so, as when he was a kid, he cut off Goliath. That's head. right. <laughs> and so what set him apart? Well, the Bible says his heart was in tune with God's heart. Yep. He was a man after God's own heart. And that is what set him apart. He cared more about what God was doing than what was going on in his own life and his own culture. And he was surrendered. And he wanted to be used by God. And he was courageous. And it was... You know, Goliath out there touting and bragging and talking down the Lord. Well, the Bible says, and David heard him. And Goliath, where he messed up, was it, he said it loud enough to where little scrawny David heard him. And what made David so special? It wasn't because of all the manly traits that he brought to the table. What made him special was that his heart was the Lord's. And so today, if we want to be do these things that Dustin just rattled off, if we want to be useful in the church, if we want to be useful in our job, if we want to be useful in our marriage, if we want to fulfill the role God's called us to fulfill, the best thing we can do is, man, is our heart in tune with the Lord's? Do, yep. do we love the Lord? You know, I've been thinking about that lately. I turned 35 the other day, and uh, it's, it's strange. And, you know, just a moment of confession I think about that and I look at my life and I, I start getting discouraged because I'm like man when I was like 20 I wanted to make a difference and I wanted to help bring thousands of people to Jesus and I wanted to shake things up and I wanted to rattle the cages and I wanted to do as much as I could for the kingdom and I look back and think man I almost feel like I just you know when you start thinking in those terms and you can get depressed and I started thinking lately, man, what God's really called us to do is just to love Him, yeah. just to walk with Him and to to be in tune with Him and to serve Him and leave the results, leave the circumstances up to Him. You know, courage is contagious. Billy Graham said, when a man, when a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others are often stiffened. And that's true. And so, men, if you are listening to this, it is time to be a man. Stop making excuses, right? We all make excuses. But, you know, the Lord, He understands those excuses. He cares. But at the end of the day, we need to let Him call the shots. We need to stop trying to force our way through doors God doesn't want us to walk through. And He wants us just to stop being pansies. He wants us to just to... Be the man that God's calls to be, right? So, yeah, I would just add on a sort of a fun note, you know, I think it's really interesting that in First Samuel, or no, Second Samuel, we have a whole chapter that's just listed off to, to mighty men of valor. And they're, oh, my goodness. They're just great deeds. And I would say, you know, if you're out there and you have a talent, you have some something special that God has given you, man, use that in a in an incredible, noble way. Be a man of valor. 
in whatever way God has called you to do it. And also, you know, grow a beard. That's a good stuff. Those mighty men, <laughs> they, they can make a movie about those guys. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, and you know what made them want to follow David? Here's what made them. It wasn't because he was, uh, you know, he was good looking or, you know, he, he, he uh, had all the answers all the time. I think what made them want to follow David is they believed he was God's man. And what did David do all through the Old Testament? He would stop. No, not every time, but most of the time when he was going to have to make a battle decision. Okay, do I go this way or to go that way? What does the Bible say over and over and over? David inquired of the Lord. Yeah. Dude, you see that so many times from King David. Yeah. And, and that's what we have to do is we have to slow down and inquire of the Lord. Lord, are, are you in this? Or not. And if God's not in it and we know it, we have no business walking forward. Right? Slow that thing, back that train up, and just leave it up to the Lord. And the last thing I would say, um, you know, godly men, they go fishing. And I'm not talking about for fish. They go fishing for people. Because that's that's what God's called to do. Yep. Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. This is the new mission or the new covenant is to make disciples, to go into all the earth and preach the good news of the gospel. And, you know, at the end of the day, your your church can be trendy. Your church can have cool music. Your church can have, uh, you know, new flower beds, new whatever. Friend, your church is not a building. And your church is not the traditions that you've done. Your church is a mission force. And at the end of the day, we want to make sure that our churches are fishing for people and making disciples. We lead people to the Lord, and then we disciple them to obey the commands of our Lord and to become disciples. And if this is not our MO, man, you need to go to a new church. You need to you need to find the right group of friends that challenge you to be thinking about lostness. The last time I checked, there's 300 million people in the States, and most of them are lost. Most of them do not know Jesus. And, and we're going to lose our nation. Um, more important than that, all those people are going to go to hell. Unless something intercedes, intervenes in their life because they heard the gospel, then there's no hope for them. And not just our nation, the nations. There are people headed for hell for all eternity. And I believe the greatest, one of the greatest things that we can do is to raise up godly men. Yep. That is so powerful in our churches. Oh, yeah. And you see the pattern. I've seen it in student ministry. When you raise up a man of God, who loves the Lord, he sets the standard for everyone else around him, and they begin to rise up and do the same. So we, you're right, definitely. We need more men of God who set the standard high, because when they do, other people follow. They rise to the occasion. You know, I saw that with, uh, you mentioned student ministry. That's both of our backgrounds, Dustin, and uh, serving in many years in student ministry. I, I noticed that there were always some female, you know, some young ladies who loved the Lord, had their quiet times, and they would have convictions. And if we could ever get more guys to do the same, man, it was on, right? Yep. It changed the game. In fact, those the females, when the men rose to the occasion, the females cranked it up to like, I don't 12. know, like <laughs> ninja disciples. Like they just. Uh, and it set them free, right? It set those ladies free when the, when the guys would begin to um, show respect towards females, when they began to uh, view the, the ladies 
uh, not as, you know, potential girlfriends, but just view them as sisters in Christ. Yep. Uh, and whenever they would have convictions, it gives you confidence when your identity rests in Christ. You don't have to please everybody else, which means you don't have to put on a show all the time. You just be yourself. And it, it breeds fellowship. It breeds unity. Um, and, and, you know, it's more fun being together when people are walking with the Lord. Life's more fun when you're following Jesus together. That's right. He designed it. He knows the best way to live it. That's right. Well, we hope that this has been productive. This has been helpful for your life. Uh, it's kind of a touchy subject, but it doesn't have to be. You know, at the end of the day, you can get your um, thoughts and views and your education about men from our culture, from this world, or you can simply take a journey down Bible Lane and you'll find out what God's Word has to say. Yeah, so Exactly. Go to the Creator and see what He has planned. That's right. He said a few things about uh, manhood. This concludes today's episode of Sword and Spirit. If you like this episode, be sure to hit that subscribe button to stay up to date on all of our future content. Also, be sure to check out our website, fbcbsl.org, for more news and information on everything going on in our church. That's all for today. Until next time, bye. Bye.